Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby, and these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life, it chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Kevin Sherrington. That is Evan Grant across the way from me, who is staring at his computer screen vacantly. Uh, and anyway, this is Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW podcast. Hello, Kevin. <laughs> and joining us today, someone who's not quite as vacant as Evan, is our old pal, Reiner Saban. Reiner, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Ryder, Ryder has has gone east to Alabama. For those of you who uh, were not aware of his comings and goings uh, after leaving the, the Dallas Morning News, how long ago has that been now, Reiner? That was two years you've been in Alabama yeah, now? Well, yeah, this is my second season, so I've moved there in the summer I, of 2016. I yeah. believe the, the way you count time in Alabama now is you say how yeah. many championship games ago was that <laughs> I like that that's good that's very that's good true. yeah that's very true now Reiner just to give a little background here uh because you have an interesting uh background you're you are from New York originally is that not correct that's correct mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. went to college at Arkansas explain to everybody why you went from New York to Arkansas which is kind of a, an interesting uh you know uh, I mean I married a, a woman from Arkansas and uh, and right. all my kids go to school there in college so or all three of the four anyway so uh, tell me why you wanted to do that so my brother ended up being the first person in my family to go to the University of Arkansas and he got uh, a crazy academic scholarship and uh, my parents thought he was crazy at first for even considering it, but um, it really ended up being a great uh, experience for him. And I was kind of debating whether to go there or um, uh, Vanderbilt because uh, they had a sports writing scholarship, and I was lucky to win that. And I ended up, uh, but I ended up going to Arkansas because I was more familiar with it. Plus, I thought it would be actually a good opportunity to write about sports in a place where. You know the Razorbacks are kind of the the pro team there, so uh, um, so I ended up going there and uh, um, enjoying it. I mean, it was a it was a fun it was a fun time, and it kind of lived up to everything except the basketball program wasn't uh, uh, didn't end up being as good as I thought it was going to be. And yeah, you and got there a little Vanderbilt late for that. Up, yeah, yeah, Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt ended up having a better basketball team by the end of my time in college than uh, than Arkansas did. 
And your brother, just as another aside, has remained in Arkansas. Tell everybody what he does. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he's a state representative there, and uh, right now he's uh, running for mayor of Little Rock. So, um, so he's uh, stayed uh, uh, very much uh, involved in, in the state itself and, uh, um, you know, as a um, uh, very much an interest in Arkansas and uh, has, uh, has kind of made a, made a life there. So um, I think he's going to be there for, uh, for the remainder of his, uh, his life. So it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun, fun journey for all of us uh, and the family. He's clearly on a Bill Clinton path here, don't you think? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, um, you know, he met uh, Clinton when he was in high school because uh, he was a uh, participant in Boys Nation and met uh, Clinton 30 years to the day that uh, Clinton met John F. Kennedy in the same situation because uh, uh, he was the Boys Nation representative right. that Clinton was for for Arkansas, and, and that's when he met uh, Kennedy. So. There is some kind of a uh, ties there for sure. Yeah, I think you should stay on good terms with your brother, Reiner. So, <laughs> you never can tell this might work out. So, Reiner, you uh, while you were here at the Dallas Morning News, uh, one of your jobs that you had here uh, was uh, covering the Cowboys. And when uh, there was a when I guess Jason Garrett was Jason Garrett the the coach when you started on the on the beat, the head coach. Uh well, yes, because he, uh, he had just been. Uh, uh, promoted after, uh, you know, Wade had been fired. Um, I came on about, I think, three weeks after that happened. Uh, the only time I dealt with Wade was, like, just coming in uh, to randomly pick up, uh, you know, an assignment on, uh, uh, you know, a day when uh, they needed extra people or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, I was, I was there from pretty much the beginning of the Jason Garrett uh, administration. And, and so you have, and now you've uh, put in two seasons uh, covering the Nick Saban administration, which is a much higher administration than uh, the Jason Garrett administration, I think. Certainly a much more powerful man. Is Reiner the only beat guy in the history of college football to cover a coach whose last name is pronounced exactly the same? Uh, well, yeah, I'm sure there are probably others that were named Smith, you know, well, Tubby Smith and... I don't know. I mean, it's. I think it's pretty unusual. <laughs> it's a little unusual. It's different spellings. Yeah, it gets, yeah, do you guys get confused, confused a lot, Runner? They do. I, well, it's funny. One time when I was in like, the Birmingham airport, like my name was announced on one of the intercom, and like people's like you know heads immediately shifted because then you know the way they pronounced obviously Saban. I mean, it was uh, by then they clearly realized. Uh, I was probably not related to him, but um, but yeah, that was a, that was funny. And I, you know, occasionally when I'm like at a Starbucks or something, it, it ends up being uh, a thing. And like, but then I'm like, I have to constantly say it's spelled differently. So, um, do, do, do people think, think that, it, do people think you're covering your dad? <laughs> well, Auburn fans, I think. Do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that gets yeah. A, that gets a little rough. I'm they, sure. they, they, I think it's a nefarious plot by Nick to uh, implant a reporter uh, <laughs> to cover him. That's you know a member of his family. So. <laughs> I'm sure that's right. So uh, so so tell us this. Uh, you know we, we see these uh, press conferences from afar with Nick Saban, in which he he just rarely seems very pleasant. Is he any better uh, in a one-on-one situation than he is in these press conferences? 
Uh, I've never seen him in a one-on-one situation. Really? Um, he does not do he does not do any kind of walk-off or one-on-one situation. Um, you know, I've had very little to zero personal interactions with him uh, at all. Um, so basically, all, all you do is get that uh, situation in the press conference. Now, I will say, for you know, for him, uh, at least he gives you something to write about every time out of those things. Like he's he's uh, pretty um uh forthcoming with uh with his answers and he'll share his thoughts and then sometimes he'll come in with a specific issue that he wants to tackle uh in which he wants to advance some cause that he's you know behind or or something he'll and he'll obviously move the 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 conversation towards that end and so uh but he's a lot more entertaining in the press conferences than, say, Jason Garrett was. So I want to, uh, Reiner. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to humble brag you here, but um, I just want to make sure. So I, uh, twenty-five years ago, I was asked to go and do an Alabama story for uh, right. for the Gannett Network, and um, uh, ahead of, I believe it was the first SEC championship game, and I think I've heard this story. Went before. to Tuscaloosa to interview Gene Stallings, and ended up eating chicken wings in Gene's office <laughs> with him while he did his radio show. Um, so you and Nick, you are you telling me that you and Nick do not have that kind of relationship? Do not. I've never had any kind of uh, food or beverage or <laughs> no chicken. You don't know what his favorite like. flavor of chicken wing is. <laughs> no, no. I mean, he likes his little Debbie's oatmeal cookies and his salad with his whatever dressing that he puts on it for lunch that he has every day. And uh, um, and I know, uh, I mean, he'll get, a, I think, a meatloaf at Baumhauer's, which is the place where he has his uh, radio show, like, every Thursday night. He's very routine-oriented. Um, you know, they talk about Jason Garrett wearing the same thing where he gets that exactly from Nick. It's like this idea of not thinking, having to think about anything other than football and, and you know, advancing your whatever your mission is and not wasting time, you know, contemplating this, I guess, less significant stuff. So it's a, it's an interesting thing, um, you know, and it's... Uh, it's funny though, like you know, these author- authoritarian type people seem to always wear the same uniform, you know. Yes, <laughs> like <laughs> little generals. Yeah, right. Little, there's yeah. no, there's no question. That's always been my thought that that's what most coaches can fancy themselves as generals, uh, and that's yeah. that's the appeal for them. But I wanted, to, I do want to say one thing. I remember this tweet uh, that you you sent out uh, mm-hmm. after Alabama lost a rare national championship game last year to yeah, Clemson, right. Right. in which you tweeted something that Nick Saban said to you immediately after the game in the throes of this terrible loss to yeah. dreaded Clemson. Tell everybody what that was. Yeah. Well, he, he he looked at me, and I, I thought he might have been looking at somebody else, but he's like looking at me, and he goes like, "How are you?" And I'm like, and I just was speechless. And then <laughs> one, he never really—that was the only, literally, that's the only personal interaction I've ever had with the guy. And uh, it's in this moment of like his worst defeat, um, you know, uh, just to be so close to tying Bear Bryant, you know, for the most national championships won, and to lose in the final second, and. He's asking me in the situation how I am, and you know, I mean, how do you how do you answer that question? I mean, I'm, I mean, I was fine. I mean, I don't, you know, I, <laughs> you weren't I, crying I, or anything, were you? Right? Yeah, I, didn't want, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say that in that situation. <laughs> it, just, it seems so callous, and uh, 
I don't know. I just, uh, uh, I didn't, I couldn't say anything. I just nodded my head. Like, I mean, I was, I was stunned beyond stunned in that, in that setting to see, to hear that from him. Yeah. You know, and that's, and I, and I want to kind of explore this a little bit because, you know, we, we, we see these coaches all the time and, and people don't see them and, uh, uh, right. and, and about their personality and, and people would think, what's the big thing about him saying that? Well, it is a, a big thing for a guy like him because, I can recall um, when um, Wade Phillips became the head coach of the Cowboys. Right. And, and, you know, just what you said about um, Nick Saban, that he was never a one-on-one, but his press conferences were always so good. There was never a guy who gave better press conferences uh, to me than Bill Parcells. Uh, he, they were always right. entertaining, always fun. You always learned something. You learned about him. You learned about his philosophy. You, you learned about other people and you, and you know, it didn't matter that he doesn't, he didn't give one-on-ones. They were just so, so informative and so entertaining. Uh, but I never had a one-on-one with him. And so the, um, the, uh, uh, training camp of, uh, Wade Phillips first training camp in San Antonio, I went in for a, and I had a one-on-one with him and I sat down and we talked and it was very pleasant as always with Wade. And after it was over, I said, you know, this is already one more one-on-one than I had with the previous coach. And he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, really? And he said, well, let's do it again sometime. Uh, did and you ever do it again? I never did it again. Okay. No, he didn't last long enough. But, uh, but you know, that, that was just a, it's, it's interesting, you know, yeah. when, when people talk about, you know, listen, I don't, I don't play favorites with coaches. I don't write favorable things about coaches I like or, or unfavorable right. things about coaches I don't like. As, I, as I've told people many times, if I only wrote nice things about the people I liked, I'd never write anything nice about anybody. So, you know, it's – but it, it does it does have an impact on you when, when a guy is more pleasant and does make it more difficult to write critical things. Uh, you, you probably do give him the benefit of the doubt more often than not than someone you, you don't like and, or someone who is unpleasant and makes your job miserable, that type of thing. So, so personalities, I think, do matter uh, sometimes in these situations. Not as much maybe as, as people think, but it, but it is interesting uh, to note it, 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 that it, from that standpoint. And since you have worked with Jason Garrett and you've worked with Nick Saban now, how, how similar would you say those personalities are? Uh, well, I think, you know, Jason's more aware of, the political dynamic within the Cowboys organization and how he has to navigate that. I mean, Nick doesn't have to worry about that. He's judge, jury, and executioner in that program. He's the CEO. Um, you know, there's, he doesn't have to, uh, you know, deal with that uh, element that Jason has to deal with with Jerry and, you know, Stephen and, you know, all the other, <laughs> you know, things that go on within, within that uh, organization. And so I think, I think, you know, that, that gives Nick the liberty a little bit more to be kind of uh, uh, less guarded and kind of, uh, you know, more, um, you know, effusive about, you know, whatever, you know, thing that's bothering him because he clearly, you know, again, if something's bothering him, he'll, he'll bring it up in a press conference, you know, out of the blue sometimes or take your question and kind of uh, steer it towards, you know, again, what he's wanting to talk about. And so, um, you know, I, I think you get some, you know, uh, better stuff from a person like that where, where Jason's trying to kind of, uh, uh, make, you know, kind of smooth things over all the time and uh, make everything as, uh, 
uh, kind of antiseptic as possible in an organization that uh, is far from antiseptic with the Cowboys. Whereas, you know, Nick, I think, you know, uh, again, because of his power within that organization, has a lot more uh, latitude to be able to say what he wants and uh, and get across what he wants. And, uh, yeah, Jason's just trying to get out of the press conference alive. Uh, they, yeah. they, Jason's right. trying to get out of every press conference saying nothing. I, Absolutely. I, you know, my Absolutely. take, because yeah. I, usually I listen to these on the radio. Right. I don't see them on TV. I don't see facial expressions. But what you hear on the radio... Uh, when you're just hearing the audio, is um, he speaks very fast. Uh, there are key words that I think he, you know, tries to drop in at all moments. Yeah. Um, and the idea is to kind of buy himself time to drop in as many generic comments about the team as possible. And and listen, I, I don't think that's if, where the NFL is concerned. I don't think that's unusual. Um, and I think that where the NFL is concerned, despite the fact that he's head coach of one of the most iconic franchises in the league, he's also probably can, one of the least powerful head coaches in, in, in the league. He doesn't have control over personnel matters. He doesn't necessarily even have control over the locker room because, you know, Jerry's going to wander through that locker room and Jerry's going to have a lot of impact in that locker room. And, sure. and so are, are, are Steven and all of that. Um, uh, my question here is, you know, do you see, and, and listen, Nick, we had this conversation last week, Reiner, that, yeah. you know, is Nick Saban the greatest college football coach ever? And I think there's there's some argument that can be made for that. So so to, to make a, a straight comparison between Jason Garrett and, and Nick, Nick Saban, I don't think would be terribly fair. But you've talked about the similarities in their personalities. Do you do you think that Jason has the ability to be um, long term successful as a head coach based on on what his processes are, what his uh, and what you know of the two coaches? Well, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's hard. I I think you know what Nick does well that he's you know kind of. I mean, I, I, it may be kind of uh, not totally recognized, but, I mean, he really takes advantage of all of its advantages. Like, the the fact that his success is uh, uh, you know, created, I mean, he's kind of created a monster, but he takes advantage of being that monster because, I mean, he has a you know, the tremendous support staff. They reinvest in the program. Uh, they're on the cutting edge with the technology. They have all these zero gravity chairs and, um, stuff for the college athletes, you know, athletes to you know be able to sleep better. Um, they've got this uh, catapult system that the Cowboys use to measure, you know, workload and work rate. I mean, all this stuff, and then um, you know, he just constantly is looking to, you know, he, he's never satisfied. And there, that's the thing. Like, and you, you get the sense that even with with Jason, sometimes maybe he may he might let the the foot off the gas pedal, whereas Nick does not do that. He constantly is looking to adapt and change and do things. And that and that's the other thing. Jason, I think, is, you know, he talks about the Aesop fable. You know, I remember Jason Garrett saying this pretty early on, you know, about the oak and the willow and, uh, you know, and trying to strike the right balance there. But I think Jason, in some ways, is a little bit more oak than willow. And I think Nick is 
more willow, willow than oak than you would think in, in a lot of ways, and that he's willing to adapt more than people would give, would give him credit for, uh, changing his offensive style and doing things like that. And, uh, I mean, there's some things that also have helped Nick a lot in, you know, just by the, by virtue of how the college game has changed, it's become more of a spread, you know, passing heavy, um, game. Well, you know, Nick Saban's specialty is the secondary and they play five defensive backs all the time. And it's pretty great that you have the best secondary coach, which you, you can make an argument that Nick Saban is coaching that area. And, there's a reason why they're, they've been one of the best defenses in the country, especially, um, you know, past defenses. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's because, you know, he's, he's kind of got in that back end of, uh, uh, of, of the team. So I think, you know, there's some things that, you know, going back to Jason though, that, uh, I just don't think he kind of measure up, uh, measures up to Nick and that, and, and, uh, just the way he, he kind of approaches things. I mean, I think he's a little stubborn in some of the ways that he handles things. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there are a couple of things to, to note here. First of all, we do remember that Nick Saban took a little turn as an NFL coach, and that didn't work out so well in Miami. Sure. And, uh, yeah. and, and I think a lot of that was just what you talked about earlier. And, uh, Nick is a general. Uh, Jason's not really a general. You know, N- right. Nick is a guy who wants to be in charge. I want to be in charge of everything. And then even with the Dolphins, he wasn't in charge of everything. He had a general manager over him, and he didn't handle any of that very well. And he certainly didn't handle it from a public relations standpoint very well. And, uh, and that, was a, that was really a disaster. Uh, when he was there. So when people talk about him, there was rumors that maybe he'd be up to going to the Giants as the head coach. I thought that was ludicrous to think that – Nick is what, 66? Is that is that how old he is now, somewhere around there? Yeah, 66. He's 66, yeah. Uh, that, 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 to think that he would go back to the NFL and try to do that now after establishing yourself as perhaps the greatest coach in the history of college football at his age is just ludicrous to me. I, I think he has set up something there. He knows what he has. He doesn't have to put up with anything. He can do whatever he wants to do. And, and as you noted, you know, part of his genius is that he is willing to adapt. We saw that in the championship game when he benched right. his, his 25 and 2. Uh, quarterback to go with a guy that I hadn't seen, you know, and I don't watch Alabama nearly as much as you do, uh, but yeah. I hadn't seen him play all year long. Uh, and yeah. to do that to me, now, and I've had, I've heard and read people say, well, that was really not as much genius as you say. I mean, that was what he should have done. Sure, it's what he should have done, but how many coaches would have had the guts to do it? In the national championship. Well, that's yeah. what, that's what, and that goes back to, again, his success allowed him to do that. Um, again, he's taking advantage of the success. I mean, if you, you know, you haven't won a national championship or maybe have just won one and you do that and it backfires, I mean, it, it, the crit- onslaught of criticism would be pretty, uh, pretty damaging, I think, you know. Uh, uh, but with, with Nick, I mean, it's like he already, he already kind of pulled a similar move by removing his offensive coordinator the right. week before the national championship game the year before. And he really didn't get that much criticism, even though the result didn't turn out well. And the offense right. really didn't perform that well in that game uh, uh, from a holistic sense. So, I mean, it's like um, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, he was able to recognize, again, his strengths and, uh, and know that uh, whatever move he made, I mean, he wasn't going to face – that much blowback, um, and so he was able to kind of have the liber- little bit more liberty and leeway to, to, to pull that kind of move, and, and sure worked out for Alabama. 
let's uh, let's make that uh, compare because you know, listen, we're, we're not gonna, you're not going to, I'm not Evans, not we're not going to compare Jason Garrett with Nick Saban. I, I'm not going to compare very many coaches uh, with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Nick's uh, a tremendous head coach. Uh, I, I just want to add one thing here. Okay, and and you talked a little bit about about the NFL experience for Saban, mm-hmm. um, and and Reiner's also talked about Nick's willingness to adapt. But I think his willingness to adapt is to basically say you do this now instead of that. And I think in the NFL, when you're dealing with professional athletes and you're dealing with older athletes, the ability to just tell guys to do this or do that doesn't fly quite as well. No. Um, you've, you've one got, interesting. Go ahead, yeah. Reiner. I'm sorry. One interesting thing that I um, I was talking to an equipment manager who worked at the Dolphins when Saban was there because I did a story about him going back to, uh, you know, like looking back at when he left Miami. And he said that Nick complained also about the structure of the NFL, you know, kind of being more of a socialistic kind of structure in the sense that, like, you know, you know if, you're, if you're really good, you get penalized by having a lower, you know, first-round draft pick. And so he was just like, well, why do I have to, one, also rely on just having one first-round draft pick, whereas in college I can – Conceivably, get six first-round draft picks if I recruit really well. Yeah. And so, there's a, and that, and that, if you ever listen to him, and a lot of his, uh, you know, the kind of the constant theme, and when he's complaining about stuff that's in the NCAA, is the restrictions that prevent him from taking advantage of all uh, of the great resources at Alabama. He doesn't want an even a level playing field, and the NFL is all about creating a level playing field, and so. That's one thing that I've always thought would pr- prohibit him from going back to the NFL is the fact that he just does not like the structure of it. And he does not like the, the level play. The no. nature of it. No. Yeah, and, yeah. and it, this is why I, you know, and I hate the idea. I know you guys have both used the word general, and I really have tried in, in my campaign for 2018 is to remove war references yeah. and militaristic uh lingo from sports but uh, yeah i mean I, I think what what nick is is a dictator um and i think in some regards the college football level you need a dictator um at the nfl level you're going to need more of a communicator well um, you, you can get away with a bill balachick i mean you know there there are times when it works and times when it doesn't. you got to have but you know it's just like i, I know i understand what you're saying about the militaristic terms but i know in, in history if you look back at that uh, you know, military figures throughout history, there were there were generals who were not successful, and the, their men did not respond to them, and and uh, and there and there were men that were, and right. and they you had to have certain characteristics. It's that, still being a manager. Yeah, you know? it it is, and so I want to I want to talk uh, about uh, the the influences here. Of course, we know that Jason Garrett uh, considers Nick Saban an influence. He's one of the guys right. he has sought out, mm-hmm. and he, and he's sought his uh, advice on things. You know that that goes across the board with Jason. He he. He, he seeks out people who are really good at what they do. It doesn't really matter what they do sometimes. He just wants to know what highly successful, talented people do and how they do it. And, and this is one thing I admire about Jason Garrett is that he does want to go and be exposed to these people that are at higher sure, at high levels within their field. It's still, and I, I think part of this is the dynamic. We talked a little bit about this last week on 
the Cowboys podcast about again the dynamic with with the owner and the the, the owner general manager, but it still it puzzles me a little bit how he is unable to implement the things that he obviously gets access to with a great deal of long term success. Well, I think there's you know the, well I'll get into that all in a minute with my thoughts about that but but let me go ahead and ask you Reiner do you see uh, have uh first of all has Nick Saban ever mentioned uh Jason Garrett at any time in anything you've ever heard No no I mean you know I, I asked him uh you know when I was covering the Cotton Bowl for uh for the Dallas Morning News and uh I guess it was when they played Michigan State in the CFP semifinal in 2015 you know about that and uh, you know, he said he was, I, I guess, initially hesitant to hire him, but then, you know, kind of won him over with his intelligence, I think. And so um, that was the only time that Saban's really brought his name up. He doesn't really, unless he's asked about a specific uh, assistant, I don't think he generally brings uh, him them up. I mean, even he doesn't bring Belichick up uh, hardly ever unless, unless it's asked specifically about that. Um, he's pretty much just focused on, uh, you know, um, you know, he'll, he'll bring up his dad usually as a, uh, on the radio shows and maybe, um, uh, you know, Coach Neal in too, who was an influence on him uh, in general. But he'll only like to refer back to people that kind of uh, had a huge impact on his life as opposed to people he worked around. Yeah, all right. And I, I didn't. I thought I, mm-hmm. I figured that'd be the answer, but I I wanted to clear that yeah. up. And, and secondly, mm-hmm. when when you were around, now looking back now, when you were around uh, Jason Garrett, did you see anything that you would now identify as Nick Saban traits uh, or or concepts or, or anything like that? I mean, you know, obviously he mentions the process. Strangely enough, Nick Saban never mentions really the process. I mean, he doesn't bring that up. And I thought, you know, uh, that became somewhat of a crutch word for Jason uh, to try to, you know, show that he, you know, had a, a methodology and uh, um, and try to kind of convey that he had some kind of level of control over, the, over what was going on. Um, and, uh, but I do think, you know, again, he's adopted, you know, some of the things about I mean, you hear him like, you know, focus on the next play. Don't, don't, uh, don't make comparisons. Nick Saban does not like making comparisons. Um, you know, this stuff in the press conference, like he, you know, doesn't, uh, uh, you know, want to look too far ahead or too far behind. I mean, you know, those are, those are elements that are, you know, core elements of, you know, uh, Saban's process and what he, um, you know, when he first started adopting that at, at Michigan State. So, um, yeah, so I, I, you definitely see some kind of elements of that. It's just it's hard to uh, hard to see how you know, uh, Jason implements that because, I mean, in, in practice, I mean, I don't get to watch more than the fifth, first 15 minutes of Nick's practice. Now, uh, Nick, I think, is more heavily involved in the practice than than uh than Jason is, um, he's Nick's very much working with the secondary and and you know uh, kind of overseeing that and uh, that, that specifically it, it deep in the drills. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, interesting. And Jason, I don't get the sense is that that involved in the practices. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> see, here's here's to me the issue and why I I feel like that Jason Garrett has struggled somewhat 
it's first of all, it's a difficult situation to be in. What what Evan pointed out a little while ago, where you have such a heavy-handed owner, um, and then you have a you know his son also right there, um, and right. And, and I and I think that you know, I, I when fans complain about um, Jason Garrett and they talk about, well, he just sounds like a robot. That that's really the wrong thing to complain about. Who cares what he sounds like? Uh, you know, if if I'm a fan, all I care, you know, Bill Belichick is a robot. You know, I I I don't care how he sounds or what he says in in those press conferences. You know, Wade was very folksy and fun, a lot like his dad, and it certainly didn't translate to a lot of wins. So it doesn't really make any difference. My problem with with Jason is that I, I think, and uh, and and I've had these discussions with our friend Babe Laufenberg. He, he told me before Jason got the job, listen, if this guy were to run for president, I'd vote for him. And given what's happened in our country, maybe that would have been a good thing. But, uh, I, I, you know, to me, the kind of intelligence that he has is a, uh, he, he likes to acquire intelligence, and he likes to find out things, and he likes to study. And, and, he, and he is a very intelligent guy, and he, and he knows a lot. And he has a, a broad spectrum of knowledge, and those are highly admirable traits, and they, they really serve him well from a personal standpoint. But as a head coach of a football team, and I we'll go back to that whole general thing, you have to make a decisions. You have to make hard decisions, and you have to be, you have to feel confident in making them. I don't feel that he is confident in making decisions. I feel like he, when he gets right down to it, he would rather we, we you know, and we discussed this earlier uh, about mm-hmm. when he wants to get in all week long. David Morris talked about this. He he he's with his coaches. This is our game plan. This is what we're going to do. And when we get into the game. He's very slow to deviate from that, and that's why he's I think so poor in, in clock management and in other things that have come up in games because this is not what they discussed. This I, is what they discussed all week long. I think you're talking about two different two different elements here. One is. I, I do think you're absolutely right that I don't see this as a great adjustment staff. Um, I know we had Brad Sham on earlier this year, and he talked about how little time coaches have during halftime and all of that. But I would still disagree with Brad on this. I, I think that there are coaches and staffs that figure out ways, both in college football and the NFL, to make good adjustments and, and, and make – well, we saw that in the semifinal game uh, between uh, Georgia and Oklahoma. Absolutely. I think we saw it in the final game because Alabama clearly made an adjustment with Tagvialola, and Georgia did not have answers for that. Um, uh, and, and I thought Georgia was a good adjustment staff, but they didn't. They, they certainly weren't prepared for what he had to offer. But that aside, I think you know the untenable situation that Jason Garrett has is Forget the process, forget the scheme, forget all of that. As a head coach, you're going to have to have blunt conversations in which you can get your message across and you can deal with the repercussions and you can communicate. And he's got to do it up with his owners. He's got to do it almost at a lateral level with his coaching staff in which he feels very much a a partner, I think, more than a, a boss. And then he's got to do it downward with his players. And I think that uh, and I think that dynamic here of, of how you've got to communicate upward to your to your ownership and that a lot of times ownership is going directly to players or ownership may be going directly to the other assistants. I think that is the dynamic that makes it almost untenable for just about anybody. I think it wore Bill Parcells out here. Um, I, I think it 
it, it is the kind of thing that that is a dynamic that until the Cowboys figure out that hey, we've got to remove Jerry from the equation more and let whether it's Steven be the general manager or whether it's to let the head coach basically be the personnel officer, until they figure that out, you are going to continue to have a situation where your head coach, I think, is placed, no matter what his personality is, and no matter what Jason Garrett's true personality is, and I don't know that we've ever seen it, he's going to be placed in an untenable situation. I also, my word for the week is untenable. Untenable, yeah, you've used it several times. All right, now, Ryan, I want to I want to set this up. I want to ask you this you, question. You have nothing to add to that. No, no, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. That's good enough. No, look, here's the thing, because it, it, it dovetails with what I'm about mm-hmm. to ask. I think of the two positions uh, in the Cowboys organization that were the most difficult to deal with Jerry, one is obviously the head coach, and the other one is the direct whoever it is who is the direct directing the draft, whatever you want to call that person, because it's not right. a general manager. He's the if you want to call him the the amateur scouting director, whatever you want to call it, Will McClay. That is Will McClay who has yeah, that job. I just want to call him Will McClay. I'm calling Will McClay. So who who has the you know so here, so let me just say who I think it has it. But but first of all, who has the more difficult job dealing with Jerry Jones? Because I will say this. Uh, on a day-to-day basis, Jerry comes – He doesn't. he's not around as much as he used to. He has more things on his plate now than he used to, and he's older and all of that, and he's relaxed some. And these are just the things that come with being – I think Jerry's 77 years old now, 78 maybe. And um, so he turned 75 this year. No, I think he's older than that. But why don't you look that up? I'll look that up. But while, I, while, while I'm talking, talk. yeah. But, uh, but the situation for me is, is that this – but when you get into a draft room – 75. 75, where'd he go? Turned 75 in October. Well, I guess I was off. I Let's see just, why he had that big yeah, birthday party. Yeah, he was born in, what, 41, right? Uh, I didn't know that. That's what I need to do. That's what I tell my wife. That's what I tell my I guess 42. I yeah, tell 42. my wife all the time. Yeah. I, I, she's, yeah. you know, when she struggles with how old somebody is, I say, if you just memorize the year, you don't have to memorize their yeah. age. Okay? So, anyway, um, is that what is more difficult, being the head coach day-to-day and dealing with Jerry when the occasional times he comes out and does stuff, or when you're in that draft room and, boy, can you imagine Jerry's impetuosity? That's my word for the day. Can you imagine that? <laughs> what was that? Impetuosity. I'm looking that up. Uh, is the fact that he can't control himself, right? Remember when the, the Johnny Manziel right. draft came up? You know, we can sure. go back to Quincy Carter when they took they jumped – two rounds to take him uh you, you know when jerry sees these things he can't control himself uh and and i think the fact that will mcclay has demonstrated the ability to basically say this is what we ought to do you know this this is who we this is right. this is who we need and this is what we're going to do and they and they got zach martin instead of johnny manzel he's he's kind of uh i i i get the impression he has really been able to show them I, this is what we should do, and and you and you now trust us. I don't. I think if Jerry's reached the point now, where if his head coach was a guy who was reasonable with him, now there's no question that Will McClay likes Jerry, right? He's not even yeah. interviewing for other jobs. Right. He likes Jerry right. so much, so Jerry loves that. Jerry rewards that loyalty, but he's also rewarding the fact that the guy's been very successful in what he's done. Uh, my point is, is that I think. You, you know, we, we, we try to cut Jason some slack 
from the standpoint of, well, he's, he's working for Jerry Jones, and how many guys are going to do that and really enjoy it? And we, As you pointed out with Bill Parcells, he finally had enough. I'm out of here. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised it lasted that lasted as long as it did. Give me an idea, uh, because I, I know that you had dealt some with Will McClay. Give me an idea of what you think it is enabling him to have that success and to be able to hold Jerry at bay a little bit, whereas Jason has not been able to do that. I, I think it more has to do with Will's relationship with Steven. Uh, I think that, you know, um, you know, they've been able to form. I think Steven's, you know, obviously not as impetuous, uh, to use your word, as, as Jerry is. Um, and so I think Steven recognized, I think Will and uh, Steven actually have similar personalities and outlooks on things. And I think, you know, as, as Jerry's kind of receded, a little bit, and you know, Stevens taken on more ownership of the franchise uh, and and the football operations. I, I think uh, Will has benefited from that, and uh, you know, I think it, it's clear that um, you know uh, that the kind of snafu that happened between the coaches and the scouts. I think it was in 2013 uh, draft, also kind of pushed that along, just based on the fact that. Um, you know, there was a disconnect between, you know, what they wanted uh, from a defensive lineman, uh, uh, out of a defensive lineman, and somehow that didn't get translated to the scouting staff. And Was that know, the, that. excuse me, Reiner, was that the draft where they uh, where Rod Marinelli said he did not want? Um, Sharif Floyd. Sharif yeah. Floyd from Florida, yeah, 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 right. Right, yeah. And so, um, and so I, I, I think that that was, uh, I mean, that, that was big uh, in that sense. And also then seeing these guys from small schools kind of not pan out in the draft. And now they've been drafting guys from, you know, big universities like Michigan and, you know, uh, um, you know Notre Dame and, and some of this. And, there's, you know, they've been kind of uh, making more of an effort to, you know, attract players from the, the bigger schools because, you know, the guys like Matt Johnson from Eastern Washington didn't work out and uh, – um, and so uh, I, I think, you know, all of that kind of played into the fact that Will, you know, again, reinforced through his, uh, you know, his, his selections and his advice and also just the fact that he seems to have a, a very good relationship with Steven, um, you know, has helped kind of uh, increase his power and also, um, you know, make him uh, uh, seem, seem like somebody that, uh, you know, the Jones family wants, you know, wants to trust and wants around uh, for the long term instead of just, uh, you know, kind of keeping him in the short term. And, and that's the thing, like with the guy in, in, in the executive, uh, uh, in that kind of executive role, you want somebody like that around for years and years, whereas a head coach, you don't know if that person is going to be around much longer than five years, you know? So I, I think that that I think they wanted some stability out of that position, and I think Will McClay they saw as a person that could provide that. Yeah, I, I've had this, uh, and I, I brought this point up the other day um, with Will McClay. Uh, 
you know, clearly he he has turned around the Cowboys drafting. I, I think they can still yeah. improve on it. I mean, last year it was unbelievable. Right. Uh, this year, the draft that they had, uh, it was, you know, the jury's still out, as it is on most drafts after a year. You right. know, you, it's hard to have the kind of splash they had with that, uh, you know, 2016 draft. But um, I wonder, I've wondered sometimes, is it because – uh, there is more control in the draft room, and Jerry's not saying we need to take Johnny Manziel. We got to take him. We're taking him, you know. Or, and there's less of that than there used to be. Or is it the fact that this guy is just, you, you know, because back in the day when Larry Lacewell's running the draft, um, the, obviously the, they had some some terrible drafts in there after Jimmy left, and and I, I'm guessing right. that Lacewell was in charge of most of those drafts. They didn't go very well. You know, and uh, I don't know how much of that, it was never clear to me, how much of that is Lacewell's fault and the scouts' fault and how much of it was Jerry's fault. And ultimately, Jerry's responsible because he's the general manager. You're giving yourself that title. You have to take the blame for it if it doesn't work out, just as, just as you get the credit for it when it does. So uh, how much of that do you think, looking back now, Reiner, was uh, a, a part of that Will McClay has made this difference and it's it's more of his talent and personality that has made the difference in the fact that Jerry has finally just said, okay, all right, you guys do your job. Well, I think, again, it's a confluence of factor. I think, you know, again, Jerry's taken a little bit of a step back, giving Steven a little bit more control. I also think, uh, you know, Will, I mean, he went to, I mean, he went to Rice. Uh, he's, a, he's a smart guy. I mean, and so I, I think, uh, uh, I think they have a lot of confidence in them. I, I, I do think, you know, where those guys went to school carries weight with the Jones family. I think they're, you know, interested in Jason Gary because he went to Princeton, and they um, they probably think highly of Will because of, you know, where he went to college. I mean, you know, Rice is a, you know, a great institution itself, and so I think, um, you know, I think that that plays into it too. I just think they, um, you know, uh, they, they've, they've seen how he is, and, um, you know, I, I, I and I think they – recognize that um you know he's not you know just kind of uh willy-nilly about this stuff i mean he really is knee-deep into it and understands a lot of the you know different factors that make you know make a good player at all these different positions and how they fit within the scheme i think that's important too and i think he's more on top of that maybe than say probably larry lacewell was i mean you know especially understanding how players fit with it schemes because sometimes yeah as you know in the nfl uh, a lot of the time actually the scheme makes the player and right. if you don't fit the scheme i mean you're uh you're you're in trouble so um you know i think he i think he's got a good firm grasp of the modern day you know nfl player and also uh the culture that exists within the nfl so um, I, I think he's kind of won them over in, in that sense too, and I just think he's a you know he's a pretty intelligent, sharp, intuitive kind of person. And uh, I remember doing a profile on him, and that was the thing that kind of kept coming back up was the fact that he was just uh, kind of very uh, just perceptive, and uh, you know uh, kind of recognized the things that other people didn't see, and uh, I think that's helped him uh, kind of advance to the position he's in now. Ryder, we can say the same about you. Uh, we, we appreciate you coming on with us and taking the time and, and spending with us. I uh, hope everything's going well in Alabama. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I'm sure you, 
the people there are all sick of winning national titles, uh, <laughs> want to move on to basketball season, what Avery Johnson's going to do uh, with that, uh, with that uh, a, basketball program. It's a big game tonight against Auburn. So. Wow, that is a big game. game. That is a big game. Yeah. Uh, so, national so. implications for it. Ryder, all the yeah. best to you. We'd love to have you on again okay. sometime. Stay in touch. Outstanding. Outstanding. Thank you for having me on. Take care, Ryder. Okay, thank you. There goes Reiner Saban. Uh, worked here at the Morning News several years. I, get, I You know, all that stuff runs together to, uh, for me or how long people work here. When you worked here as long as, as I have, uh, you know, it doesn't uh, – Kevin, a lot of things kind of run together for you. <laughs> yeah, they do. You're right. You're right. So that was Reiner talking about uh, our uh, the uh, comparisons, and, and and you know we we're not trying to compare uh, kind of uh, coaches. They were just what uh, what Jason tries to do and what he's tried to take from uh, Nick Saban, as I said and as you said. I I think that's an impossible thing to do. To me, where what you try to acquire from other people is all right. Maybe maybe some philosophies as far as okay, you you think this works better if you do this. Okay, that's fine. But you still have to be yourself, and uh, yeah, you can't be Mike Shashevsky, you can't be Nick Saban, you can't be um, no. you, you can't be somebody else. But there is certainly something, you know. One of the best athletes I ever saw at like taking something from everybody around him and distilling out which was that which was kind of BS and and filtering down what was really applicable was Rusty Greer. Um, I thought in his 10 years with the Rangers, uh, you know, this is a guy who came in uh, when Will Clark was just getting here, and there was a whole lot of caricature to Will, but there was also some real substance. And Rusty was able to kind of attach himself to Will. And then when, when Will left and Rusty kind of stepped out of his shadow, it was clear to see that he had taken some elements from Will and thought, okay, this is what you need to do to be a team spokesman, to be in, in, in front of the cameras, to be a team leader. And there were some other things that he said, okay, I don't need to do this. This isn't part of me. Mm-hmm. This isn't who I am. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's what the, the best guys do. I mean, there's, you know, Jason has spent time around Krzyzewski and he has spent time around other, other top tier Hall of Fame coaches. And you can't imitate them. You know, no. imitation is 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 not going to be a uh, a successful formula, but I think there are things that you can do. Whether you know it's his organization, and I, I think right now, if I was Jason, the thing I'd be I'd be focusing on is if if I go and spend time with a coach or 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 somebody, I'd be trying to look for somebody who's got flexibility and adaptability, um, because that is to me right now the thing that. That stands out most. I, I don't think this this staff um, adapts very well to to curves thrown in their way. I think they're they're very focused on the process. I think they're very focused on on what they plan out. They they do an incredible job of, of preparation, but there's always going to be something that you can't plan for. And I think they've got to do a better job of being able to, uh, whether it's in the locker room or whether it's on the field with the opponent, do a better job of, yeah, of I agree with that. that. I agree with that. Uh, the, the problem for me is, is well, that— Well, you should, because I'm right. Well, but if it's not your personality, if if the, if the when you make decisions— Look, he, as I said before, he, Jason's an, an undeniably a smart guy, but he's a smart guy who I, I want to I talk about this first. Before I make this decision, I want to get with my guys, and let's all talk about this and, and discuss it and ruminate on it. He can't just say— 
bang, this is not working. We got we got to do something different here. But if you want to be if you want to be a successful NFL head coach, you're going to have to have that ability. To I do think that. that's an issue though. Um, so I, I will say this, and, and it may be you know, but but here's the thing: the best the best people in life never stop learning and never stop. Yeah, that's true. Never stop evolving and. You know he's he's been fortunate here to have eight years now, yeah, I think that's seven right. or eight. Well, I don't know something like that. Um, and 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 he's been afforded that opportunity to grow this year. I think there's a lot of things that you can look at and say, you know, the Zeke Elliott thing was a disaster from from day one. Uh, Dez uh, regressed and declined as a player, um, and then he had some personnel issues that really I think led to to Dak taking a step back from where he was as a rookie. Uh, I'm not that concerned about Dak long term because you look at what he did. No, I'm not either. at Mississippi State as a junior, and he was you know going to be a Heisman favorite. Then the, the senior year, he came out and kind of took a step backwards. Then he went to the NFL and and picked right up. Uh, so I, I think there is you know there's not always linear progression in how guys grow. No, um, and I think this I think he's got the personality. I think he's got you, you talk about the ability to evolve. I think he's got the ability to take a lot from what he learned this year apply it over the offseason and be better next year. Well, the, the, here's the issue and the, the thing I was going to say about uh, uh, Jason, and I'll say this about uh, Dak as well. Um, to me, you don't make policy based on emergencies, uh, first of all. Uh, making a call on your quarterback at halftime, that's an emergency, okay? Uh, over, the, over the long haul, what Jason Garrett does is very good. You know, during the course of the week and preparing his team and doing the things that he does, I think he's very good at that. And that's not to be minimized. You know, uh, the players play hard for him. They don't quit on him. Uh, they they respect him. They like him. You know, those are all good things. And it, it's the same thing with with uh, with Dak. Dak was not an accurate passer in college. His mechanics were off. He, he has to work on that, you know, and, and he worked on it with the Cowboys, and he was much more accurate his rookie season than he was this year. He was asked to do more things this year in the passing game, which I think was hard for him. But it's it just like Troy he Aikman. He also had more protection. As yeah, absolutely. But it's also like Troy Aikman says about him. And Look, these guys know a thousand more times about playing the quarterback position than you or I know. And and I've seen quarterbacks like Troy Aikman, like Roger Staubach, who love Dak, love mm-hmm. him, and they know that he's not an accurate passer. They Troy was an extremely accurate, mm-hmm. you know, coming out of college and in the pros, great mechanics, you know. But Dak can do some things that that Troy couldn't do, and Troy recognizes what he likes about him is his intelligence and his desire to be better, his desire to be great, and he knows he's going to work hard at it. So when a quarterback of Troy's stature looks at Dak and says, I like this guy. There's something here. What you're saying is is that everybody's not going to be exactly what you want them to be. What you have to hope is that they, they take their strong points and they make them good enough to overcome what their weak points are. You get one player who's exactly what you want him to be in your coaching career, uh, and you've done be very well. fortunate, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the best coach, like you say, the best coaches are those who, who – are able to look at a player and say, okay, these are his strengths. Let's maximize those. Let's maximize those. And let's minimize the, the, and try to keep him out of the things that he can't do well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we've, we've, we, we've broken down. Um, I think we've made this comparison that um, there is no comparison at this point between yeah, Nick Saban and – Well, like, who, who, who are you going to compare him with? Correct. Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know what the, the proper – comparison for Jason Garrett would be at this point but um uh, let, let's be let's be clear here Nick Nick Saban is as as you said 
I think you could make a very strong case that this is the greatest football coach of all time, uh, the greatest college, college football, football coach, coach yeah. of all time. Um, and he has done it in an era where there's been an awful lot of, 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 of restrictions compared to what it was 50, Back in the 60 day, years ago. When you could yeah, recruit absolutely. 100 guys yeah. in a class. Um, but he also does have <laughs> – uh yeah he 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 has done an awful lot and and the move with Tag Viola was uh, as gutsy a move as as, as a guy could make. Um, our, that guy did look pretty great though. Golly, he, yeah, he really when he came did. out in the field. I I had never seen him play when he, he came really, out. It, I just it, thought, wow, this kid looks terrific. And I also want to say, you know, not that I've replayed the national championship game um eighty five times <laughs> in the last week, but i I want to say this you go back to the to the game winning touchdown not only was it you know um a great physical play by Tagviolola to yeah. to look the safety back I just in the middle to of the you. um but I also think it's a it's an incredibly to to name our podcast ballsy call because you're sitting there at second and twenty six you have no field goal kicker. Well, you just you did the you just did the play. We didn't even talk about that. Where he loses sixteen yards. Right. Can you imagine what's going through Nick Saban's mind when he sees this kid rolling around back there? Absolutely. Takes a sixteen yard loss. And 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 you you call that play going for the home run there, thinking we have to if we don't if we don't hit on this play, right. this game is over because on third down. Georgia's not going to give up enough yardage for them to get back in field goal range. No. And they'd have to go for it on fourth down because the kicker's worthless. Right. Um at that point. I mean, I I, I the kid's a nice kid. The kid the kid has made some big kicks for Alabama, but he, you know, you got to think at that point in time yeah. it's not an option. Yeah. So, um uh, it was again an incredibly uh gutsy call at that moment and it ended up winning them the national championship and it, it sometimes, you know, sh- emergencies as you said are not great for for strategy um but sometimes yeah well you, you, you got to risk you, it separates you, you. Take, these yeah. are the things that separate you from everybody else you and, know you've got to hit on those plays that are less than 50 percent opportunities yeah all right anyway we uh we're going to talk some rangers me and you um yes we are without um without having barry inter- interject <laughs> god knows what what is barry doing today Barry's Barry's in on on an emer- speaking of emergencies he was uh, he's doing a little emergency stuff talking uh, interviewing uh, I think uh, Charlotte Anderson uh, about the Cowboys draft so he's going to come up with some really good stuff um, I hope uh, you, you can't ever tell with Barry but he, he but I, he I, he might he might come up with something really good so we'll see so it'll just be me and you All right. so uh, until next time everybody thanks thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, 
it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.